Welcome to Leonard Lopate at Large. I'm Leonard Lopate. Most of us have been pretty much house housebound over the, the past year or so, and, and it looks like that situation may continue for a while. So what are some of the simple projects we might try to tackle to keep ourselves busy and also to improve our living conditions? Well, joining us now with thoughts on that situation and related matters are Lawrence and Alvin Ubell of Accurate Building Inspectors of Brooklyn. Over the years, they've inspired millions of hesitant do-it-yourselfers to take repairs into their own hands. Alvin served as a household hints and safety editor with Family Circle magazine for over two decades. He was a regular on ABC TV's Good Morning America for five years and also on ABC's Talk Radio Network for five years. Al Sun Lawrence is the company's president and chief inspector. Uh, and uh, he has been a regular on our show for quite a few years, along with his father. They join us now to offer their expert advice to you, our listeners, and to take your calls. Our on-air number is 212-209-2877. That's 212-209-2877. Or you can email your question to me at leonardlopate at wbai.org. Alan Larry, welcome back to our show. It's a pleasure to be here. Great to be be here. Thanks for having us. As I said, most of us are stuck in our homes, so isn't this a perfect time to tackle some of those home repair problems that we may have been putting off? But can we just go to our local hardware store or Lowe's or Home Depot as we were able to before the coronavirus totally changed our lives? Well, I have to say that when I when I started when the pandemic started approximately a year ago, middle of March, um, I have to say that aside from the supermarket and the pharmacy, the Home Depot was one of the most crowded places that I would go to. Um, I started a project uh, that I was going to re uh, deck uh, re deck my uh, my wood uh, my wood deck outside the flooring because it was after thirty years. It was a little beat up, and I was I ordered all the wood the uh, fall before that, and then I was going to start the project sometime in March, and I figured it would take me all the way up until June because only working on weekends. So I had it done in about a week. So <laughs> I took care of that project, and so, yes, I did it. At the pandemic, my forced uh, vacation of three or four months forced me to go through my house and uh, – go through the entire house and do a whole bunch of projects. But I think now we're, you know, life is coming back a little bit. But I have to say that one of the things that pet peeves or things that I've been seeing a lot lately is people do complain a lot about their water pressure, especially in their shower and at their sink. And I think that one of the small projects that people can do is take out the aerator and take off the shower head and clean them out because the amount of but dirt and schmutz and debris that gets caught inside that shower head or the aerator, you'll find that the water flow, the functional flow of the of the faucet will improve greatly if you do that simple repair. And usually all you need is a simple uh, a slip joint pliers to undo it if it's uh, a, a uh, chrome or, or polish the uh, metal and you don't want to mar it, wrap it with tape first and then apply the pliers. But I think that would be a project that everyone in the family will probably benefit from. Huh. Alvin, you wanted to add? Yeah. Well, I, I, what this now this season coming is getting spring and we're walking the streets of the city of New York. Uh, we're looking at our air conditioning units that are about to be uh, opened up again when the weather gets really hot. Uh, the Right now, it's the best time to have some mechanic come over and, and recheck your air conditioning units if it needs new Freon or it needs a filter or, or it needs cleaning because now they're not that busy. But when it gets really warm and the units don't work, they're going to be very busy and it's going to cost you more money. But uh, we can't do that ourselves. Well, it's sometimes difficult. Sometimes the, the way they make air conditioning units now, it's it's very difficult for most people to remove the filters. And if you can, if you can remove the filter, uh, some of those filters are washable. And all you have to do is just put them, run them through some warm water, some liquid detergent. Uh, 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 don't wring them out. 
squeeze them out and put them out until they dry uh, regularly and you can put them back. But if they are fiberglass type that fall apart uh, uh, when you do that, you're going to have to go out and buy a new one. And you can get that in almost many, most of the hardware stores uh, on the edges. There's a frame around that gives you the size of the uh, filter and you just have to replace it with the identical filter. As far as uh, going, uh, walking around the city of New York, which is like, uh, uh, this is the walking season coming in. And uh, you got to be careful about the sidewalks. Uh, if the, if you have a property or you or live in a property that has broken sidewalks or deterioration, you, you have to demand that they get repaired because that those kinds of deterioration of the city sidewalks is is pervasive throughout the entire city. And you can call uh, uh, 311 to get somebody from the Department of Transportation to come down and give them a notice or give them a summons that they have to repair those sidewalks in front of uh, residential and commercial properties. Uh, so that's one of the things that we have to consider because people do get injured on a regular basis throughout the city. Getting back to the air conditioning, to... doesn't the cost yeah. of servicing and repairing them increase as the, the temperature rises? So is, is this probably the best time? This is the best time well, to have the repairs made because, first of all, those people who are doing repair, uh, concrete work in the wintertime, they wind up with the concrete looking good for about a couple of years. And then all of a sudden, uh, the concrete starts to deteriorate because the freezing weather prevents what they call water of crystallization to take place in the concrete. Concrete and the mixture of water to the concrete mixture is a chemical reaction. And it requires the water to remain with the concrete and it becomes part of the concrete. Larry, you want to add something? Go, I, will, yeah, I, I want to go back to the air conditioning thing. Just a quick correction. Um, we don't, uh, the refrigerant, due to environmental concerns, uh, we don't use Freon anymore. Hmm. Some, some units still work with Freon, which is actually in the industry known as R20. Refrigerant. R22 has been phased out because we found that that refrigerant would deteriorate the ozone layer. So if you have an R22 equipment, chances are that if it does uh, break or damage, you're going to have to upgrade it because the cost of the refrigerant is probably going to be close to about $1,000 a pound for refrigerant mm. as contrasted to probably $20 to $60 a pound for the new refrigerant, which is either R407 or R410A. So well, you could buy a new air conditioner to save some money. Well that's, well, that's what they're actually forcing people to do because of the cost. And if you have an air conditioner that is leaking, to try to find the leak, usually the leak is in the equipment itself, you'll end up just, uh, just wasting all that money because it will leak out after a season. So that's one thing that's going on. But the other thing is, and that people have to be aware of, is that the filters in the unit uh, are there primarily, and when I mean primarily, basically 100%, to keep the uh, air clean for the equipment. And it's not there as an air filtration system to keep the air clean for debris or as a uh, or as a COVID-19 mitigation system. It's actually there just to keep the equipment clean and stop the motors and fan blades from collecting a lot of dust and dirt. If you're interested in having an air filtration system in your house, then you should put a separate air filtration system in your house. Because the problem is if you put a COVID, I mean, a filter in that has too high of a MERV setting, which is the higher the MERV setting, the more filtering it does, it could burn out the, uh, the air handler or fan motor, and it puts too much stress on that equipment. I've heard of people putting the highest, like a HEPA filter, on their system, and their motor burns out within, six, within, within four to five months. Mm -hmm. And now you have to do this big repair. So that filter is for the equipment. It's not for cleaning the air. So be aware of that. When You can go up slightly on the MERV, 
but you're not going to go to a, a situation where you're going to end up with your house being a clean room. That is not going to happen. I don't know if we're getting any calls, but a reminder to our listeners that our number is 212-209-2877. That's 212-209-2877. Or you can email me a question at leonardlopatawbai.org. The only problem with email is sometimes it arrives a little later than uh, it's sent. Uh, now, we, like, we have, like tomorrow, Leonard, Leonard yeah. like tomorrow. <laughs> well, often, often it comes an hour after the show, despite the fact that the time on it is during the show. Um, we have we have a fair number of listeners uh, throughout the metropolitan area. Do all of the rules that we are discussing apply to listeners, whether they're in New York, New Jersey, Connecticut? Well, uh, yes, yes. Yeah, Alvin, you go. Oh, well. The most of the most of the codes are really complementary to codes in other cities. They may have different uh, ways of wording them, but the the bottom line with all the building codes and all the safety codes is to keep people from hurting themselves or hurting their neighbors, uh, because buildings and construction things are dangerous places. I mean, people fall downstairs, they get, they, they catch, they caught their building on fire. They, uh, they, uh, they have chemicals in under their sinks. There is so many things in a house that are actually dangerous to us. And so these codes and laws are to prevent us from killing our children, killing mm-hmm. ourselves and killing our neighbors. So that's what building what? codes are all about. Also, building codes, there's a, there's a, there is a quite a large correlation between population density and the stringency of the codes. So the more spread out people are, the more lax the codes happen to be because the codes are really, actually the codes are really about not hurting your neighbors. They're not really about not, they're less about not hurting yourself. So actually, like in a city like this in New York, where we're densely populated, the codes are more stringent. So uh, you don't have situations where a fire in one building spreads throughout an entire block or throughout an entire city, as happened in Chicago during the great Chicago fire. Well, is it just my imagination? The fact that in New York City for... Is it just my is it just my imagination that we're seeing more fires these days? Every time I turn on the news, uh, one of the lead stories is a fire uh, somewhere in in Brooklyn, in in uh, Newark, uh, in uh, Hartford, Connecticut, uh, and it doesn't really you know it could be private homes, it could be uh, in apartment buildings. Is this a particularly bad time because of our COVID restrictions? Uh, well, I don't would think I I, I, I want to so. talk about this. I, I just want to get, I think that we, that right now to make, to extrapolate any data over the last year would be, uh, wouldn't be the best thing to do because people are living lives that they weren't living for all the years before. They spend way more time at home and they spend way more time densely populated in their homes. They're doing way more activities in homes. So I think that the fact that there are more fires is uh, is probably correct, and probably if you take that that statistic, if if in fact there is a statistic of such, and 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 uh, line it up against fires in commercial spaces, and in and in and in other other uh, office space and so on, there's probably going to be a flip flop of those numbers. But I have to say that I, you know, as far as the point I was getting to, like New York City, the reason that our avenues, like Third Avenue, Second Avenue, Fifth Avenue, Sixth Avenue, are so wide, and that 14th Street, 23rd, 57th are so wide, those are actually fire breaks. That in fact, case these neighborhoods start burning, they stop at these wide streets, and the fires don't jump across the streets. And hopefully, that that is the plan. But if you take a place like Montana, for instance, or Wyoming, where you may not see a, a neighbor a neighbor for miles. They're not going to be that uh, stringent as far as coding is concerned. Also, something that people have to say uh, understand is that a code a building built to code is the worst building a builder is allowed to sell. And so, 
building a building to code is nothing particularly to be proud of. It's the minimum standard. In New York City, it's like 65 is passing. So that being the case, that, that being the case um, one has to be aware that you don't build to the code. You want to build better than the code. Um, and so buildings built to code are a minimum standard. They're the lowest common denominator. You're listening to Lettered Located Launch at WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. My guests are Lawrence and Alvin U. Bell of Accurate Building Inspectors. They're regular visitors to the show to, to talk about uh, taking home repairs into your own hands and related matters. And uh, we take your calls at 212-209-2877. Let's take a call, okay? BAI, you're on the air. Yes, hi. Good afternoon. My name is Linda. I'm calling from Brooklyn, and I have a question pertaining to the sidewalk. I'm a property owner in the borough of Brooklyn, and I want to know what is the criteria for the DOT to come and tell you that you need to fix your sidewalk when there's really nothing seriously or endangerous to people walking by? And who can I go to to have, like, an independent source come and evaluate it on my behalf without having to obtain a lawyer? Well, uh, sidewalk conditions are uh, quite simple to understand. If there is a differential between one slab of concrete or a flag of concrete of great, uh, equal to a half inch or greater, you got to replace that, you got to repair it. If this, Because if people can trip, right? Concrete that are loose or something like that, that has to be obvi- obviously repaired. Uh, it, if the sidewalk doesn't look good, there's something wrong. It has to be fixed. It has to be replaced, whatever the case may be. And the uh, the Department of Transportation has a, uh, a, a catalog of conditions on how you should do the concrete. They even put in how much water you should put into the concrete, what is the density of the concrete, how you should put the scoring. The concrete in most sidewalks around <coughs> the city of New York has to have a broom finish. What that means is they take a broom and they go over the soft concrete that makes the serrated surface so it should be of a non-slip surface so that when it gets wet, you can walk over it safely. What are you being told? Let me ask it to the caller. What are you being told is the problem? Well, I just received some notes. Could you speak louder into your phone, please? Right. I just received the notification that um, that there were certain parts of the sidewalk that need to be replaced. And I noticed that quite a number of people on the same street that I live on have been having that type of work done. And I just wanted to know how do they decide or what is the criteria that makes them say because if someone looked at my sidewalk you might say well it, it's not perfect but it's not it's not in a in air repair so that well, someone would okay. be endangered so let me just say to you caller that um that you need to look at your sidewalk critically and like alvin said to start off with if there's any two sections of concrete that are have a differential, in other words, a height difference of an, half an inch or more. So if there's a crack and one part of the sidewalk is higher than the other and it's more than a half an inch or there's a section of the concrete that's eroded and has gone away that creates a half an inch divot in your concrete or any crack that is wider than a half an inch, then that is probably the criteria on which they are basing that on. So well, who does she call? Who does she call to correct it? What I would say to most people that you are walking on the sidewalks too, and the idea is that, that you could you're actually preventing yourself from yeah, but that's not, but that, on the condition. But that's, not the, that's not the point. The point is, who does she talk to? She talks to the department of the New York City Department of Highways. That is the people who are have jurisdiction over sidewalks. And, and so do they, they come in and fix it? 
No, uh, it depends on the situation. If they fix it, they still they'll they may add it on to your tax bill. Sometimes not. I that area of um of the law, I'm not really quite clear on. But you need to um, ask them for what criteria they're basing their uh, assessment that you need to repair or replace your sidewalk. And that's where we are right now. Whether, right now we're talking about the issue of does she need to do it, but she has to be very critical about what she look at. And if there is more than a half an inch of, uh, of a differential between any of the concrete sections, she's probably going to have to repair it. Well, do you know well, of any... There's also another Wait, let, let her talk, please. Let her do, let her do her follow-up. Do you any agency or any private concern that I would be able to get uh, uh, an opinion and who knows, who has some kind of background on it? Because I don't mind it, but why are they trying to, you know, put people in debt over an area that really doesn't look like it requires? I'm very objective, and I'm, I don't want anyone to hurt themselves. I don't want to hurt myself. But I want to know why they are uh, mandating and pushing people to do something that's going to add a financial burden to them at this time, if it's not absolutely necessary. But Mr. My, well, thank you so but, much for having these programs where people, I needed to hear your voice today and hear your, your, your guests, because this is an issue that has just been presented to me, and I'm a little disturbed by it. And that's why we do these shows. My, exper my experience with the Department of Transportation is they don't arbitrarily and capriciously give you a summons because there is no deterioration. They are very careful. They measure it. They take pictures of it and they send you a violation. So, so what I would do, what I would do is to, uh, to move on from this call is that did they send you a report about why it needs to be done? Well, I'm going to go through the paperwork and find out what's going okay. on. Okay. What I would I do is, uh, if, if we can, um, send, send my father your information, which is alvin, A-L-V-I-N, at ubell.com, and send him an email on your information, and he'll be able to tell you more. This is more his area of expertise, and I think that he will be able to at least give you some advice on who to talk to about this, because uh, without knowing the particulars, I, uh, it's really hard to make a telephone diagnosis on this particular issue. Why is the city doing this? That's easy. They ra they are, they're always trying to take in the burden from the city and transfer it to the homeowners. We've seen that for many years. Mm -hmm. But let's see what's going on here, and maybe we can actually remedy the situation. It may, it may not have to happen. Okay? Well, okay. Thank you so much. Have a good day. Okay, okay, and and a reminder that our number here is 212-209-2877. If you have anything uh, that you want to discuss with Alvin and Lawrence Ubell, uh, this is a time when a lot of people are doubling up. And uh, Oh, let's take another call. We'll get to some of the other things in a little while. BAI, you're on the sure. air. Hi, good afternoon, and thank you for this timely program. My house is right over the subway, the G line. Mm. Um, who is responsible for repairing that sidewalk? Because it's hollow underneath. So, do you have an answer, Alvin? guys? Alvin? Yeah, I can't hear. Her. I didn't hear. Her. <laughs> Alvin, she said that her house is over the G line, so that it's hollow underneath her sidewalk. It's hard. It, it, no, in that, other words, let me just let me just say. So her her sidewalk is over a train, over a train tunnel, and the and this and the sidewalk is in bad shape. Who has jurisdiction over that sidewalk? Is it still the homeowner, or is it or is it uh, the MTA? Well, if it if it is in the line of travel for for pedestrians to get onto the uh, to the trains, or it is a section. That is that where the trains are below the, that sidewalk, uh, looking at a, a surveyor's maps of who belongs, who owns that particular section or who is responsible has to be determined uh, if it is connected to the, the uh, New York City Transit Authority, the Transit Authority will have to repair. Repair it. But if it's figured out that is part of a real estate 
uh, section of property, then it's the property owner that is responsible. Okay, because okay does that help? Mixture. Yeah, I have a mixture of sidewalk and you know those grids with the little holes for transit? Mm-hmm. So it's a mixture of oh, the two things. Me, yes, yes, let me, let me comment on that. If the deterioration is around the grates that are on yes. the sidewalk, then that is completely the responsibility of whatever jurisdiction owns those grates. So if those grates are owned by the MTA, then they have jurisdiction and they're supposed to uh, fix those grates. Is that correct, Alvin? That's correct. Yeah. So you have so to, she has to, she has to get in touch with the MTA? Those grates are for aeration or ventilation yes. of the transit authorities' tunnels or passageways. Uh, anything Correct. that is, I mean, you find those grates all over the city that is put in by Con Edison, by the gas companies, by the transit authority. Uh, they are area ways in order to access equipment or to provide ventilation to the areas below. Whoever put those in, in the original installation, is the responsible party. Okay, it's trying so where do I get them in on an email? Um, I would start, well, I would start off with 311 and go from okay. there. All right, then. That's Thank what, you very much. That would be much. my advice. Start off with yeah. them. Uh, now, just remember, just want to say one, just remember one thing, as we've been reminded many times by our mayor, the MTA is a state organization, not a city. <laughs> just remember, oh. you're dealing with New York State, not New York City. Okay. Um, as, as far as three one one is concerned, as far as three one one, it's a very good system that the city has put together, and they take they take all information down and they document it when you to when you called in the complaint and who called in the complaint, and they'll give you a number that you should yes. retain in order to give if there's any question about who is responsible for something like that. Uh, the, these people on 311 work for us, the citizens of the city of New York, and they are trying to keep the city safe. So anything like that should be transferred to, to 311 and they will get the responsible entity that will take care of whatever it has to be taken care of. Okay, okay. Thank you very much. Mr. Leonard, plan on having sanitation on another time, okay? Okay. Uh, You're listening to Leonard Lopate at Large on WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. We're taking listener calls at 212-209-2877. Or if you have any questions for my guests, you can email me at leonardlopate at wbai.org. Bell and Alvin, Alvin Ubell of Accurate Building Inspectors of Brooklyn, regular contributors to our show. And when they're here, we take listener calls at 212-209-2877. I don't know if we have any more calls coming in, but uh, I want to address another issue. Uh, A lot of people have been doubling up uh, over because of the pandemic. And Alvin, you say that uh, one of the things we should really be concerned about is um, the dangers in our cellars because uh, below street level bedrooms, 
can be illegal? Well, it's, it, well, first of all, there's a lot of things about why we come across uh, people that use uh, ex- make extra bedrooms out of their cellar. The definition of a cellar, by the way, that most, most people don't know, know, is when the mean distance between the floor and the ceiling of that cellar area is below the curb f- level front. In other words, most in most instances, cellars do not have good ventilation. Also, what happens is there are many heavy gases that could settle into the cellar area, which could be noxious, toxic, and and could be uh, uh, dangerous to people who may breathe them over long periods of time. And also, sometimes there are no windows, and so there's no ventilation, so you're not getting any fresh air. And people, I find people are using those areas to ha- house their children overnight. They sleep in the basement, the cellar area, and that is dangerous. What could happen during the night, there could be a small fire, could be a backup from the furnace that could put uh, noxious uh, fumes into that area. You could have a flood. You could have all kinds of things taking place. And we, the city has found that people don't survive those areas. So therefore, they have rules and regulations of of prohibiting people from sleeping in cellar areas. So it, it, you have to understand a, a, a construction or building code uh, is never promulgated until there are many lives that are lost as a result of the condition. And obviously there have been, well, uh, you know, sleeping near the boiler and all of that other equipment that's in most basements seems to me to be a bit scary, but <laughs> I have to admit also, that there was a time in my life when I slept in, I, I rented a basement apartment. <laughs> well, I'm the, I just want to make it clear that, um, you know, there is a technical difference between a basement in a cellar as far as New York City other municipalities don't always make basement is actually the opposite of the cellar in the sense of how we measure it. If that mean distance between the ceiling and the floor is is higher than the curb height, then it's a basement and you are allowed to live in it. Now there are many basements where you know it's only two or three feet below the curb height. And there is all that same equipment down there, like a boiler or a furnace, the gas meter, the electric meter, the sewer, the sewer trap and everything. And in that particular case, that's allowed. So it's not necessarily the equipment that's there because there are many homes throughout the country where you have a forced air furnace on the same level because many of these homes don't have basements or cellars or on a slab. And you have your furnace right there in the middle of the living area, that uh, combustion gas furnace. And so that is not necessarily the issue. What really is promulgated on is air and light. And there is no, and, they, and they've made the assessment that you need to have air and light in order to rent or live in a basement. And that is why we don't see full bathrooms in, in cellars. Uh, we don't see, and that's why you're not allowed to have bathrooms bedrooms and cellars. You only have rec rooms and half baths because they don't want people actually sleeping down there. And that's really what it's predicated on. Um, but you say, but, but you say, say that, that if there's a window, it's okay. Right. If there's a window that again, a window and it has to be less, it has to be above the mean area of the curb height. Okay. Okay. So if it's an eight foot ceiling, it has to be at least four, uh, three, three feet, 11 inches uh, or less to the floor. So all of those base floor. Uh, so all those basement in apartments order, in brownstones are, are illegal. Yeah. Well, in order right. for, yeah, in basements order, are illegal. In, in order for a space, a livable space in a piece of property to, to clap, uh, to, uh, permit people to sleep and utilize those areas, the window area, window space predicated to the area of the space, the window has to be at least 10% of the room area ratio. 
Mm. If you don't have 10% of the room floor area as window area, 10%, that space is not permissible for sleeping uh, and utilizing uh, the area. Should we take well, another but call? But you, can, but, you, but you can use it for, for, for recreational space and that sort of thing. That's um, right. Yeah, I was, okay. Yes, okay. yes. Yeah, ping pong table or whatever. Okay, let's take another yeah. call. Uh, this is WBAI New York. Uh, BAI, you're on the air. Hello? Hello. I'm on the air? Yes. Oh, yeah. What if you call 311 and... Uh, you don't get uh, uh, like a, a response in a reasonable time. Like, uh, uh, like uh, for instance, I was calling about garbage in a certain area. They say, well, okay, we'll take your complaint. It'll take 40 days in order to get this done. I said, 40 days? Wow. Christ, and it just keeps... So is there any other avenue that you can go after you call 311 and they don't respond in a reasonable time? Yes, I have. I have a suggestion. You call your local uh, city councilman's office, council person. Sorry, excuse me. Uh, your local city council person. You call their uh, office and you make a complaint to them, or your state uh, assemblyman, or assembly person, or or senator, and that usually gets something done. If you're not getting three one satisfaction from three one one, go go above their head and go to the politician. Uh, okay, thank you. That's that's what I do. That's how I got a that's how I got a no parking anytime sign on my right in front of my house. Be, really? Why uh, did they give you that? No, I wanted it because the street was so narrow, and we have parking on one side, and then people would park on the other side. And you couldn't get down the street. Uh. <laughs> So we called up our local, uh, uh, our local, uh, 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 what is it, a city councilor, uh, and uh, they got a sign there. And now we don't have people parking on that side of the street anymore. Now, they, you go ahead, Alvin. Yeah. You mentioned that uh, if you're in a basement, uh, you might also smell gas. What happens if you smell gas who do you call 911 or 311 or what well if you smell gas i would call both both the 311 immediately and the second one i would call i would call the, the utility company uh the gas company uh wherever you are whether you're in uh, uh bronx brooklyn queens staten island or uh, long island new jersey call the utility i'm gonna, I'm gonna jump gas. in i'm gonna jump in alvin i'm gonna jump in Go ahead. If you smell a lot of gas, call 911. This uh, is an emergency. If, if you call, but I got to tell you, if you call the gas company, they'll be down there faster than 911 because it's bad, it's bad uh, press to have issues with gas. They don't, we've had two of them two, uh, a few years ago and bad press. So they don't like that. They will come down immediately, 911. Now I'm just going to say this, and this is on. People have to use their, their brains for this one. If you just smell a whiff of gas, like you're not sure if you're smelling it or not, you're not really sure, you're kind of on the fence, you bring, you bring your spouse or your partner in, you say, do you smell gas? And they go, I'm not sure. In that particular case, you might want to call a plumber and get the plumber in there. Because if, it is just a, if it's just a repair that needs to go on by a licensed plumber, that they can take care of. The problem is if you just smell a little whiff of gas and it's not significant and you call the gas company and they can't figure it out, they're going to shut you down. And that means you, especially in the city of New York, that means you could be shut down from a week to a month. Ooh. And if, if this is the middle of the winter, that's really bad. So I always say there are two telephone numbers one should always have in their phone. One is a criminal defense attorney, and the other <laughs> one is a licensed plumber. Okay? They're both very important. Okay? Okay, so those are the two numbers everyone needs to have in their phone. And so always, 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 if there's a problem, call a plumber. They that you call 911 and you call the company, it's always good to have a licensed plumber in there because he's the guy who's going to do the repairs. Because Con Ed and the fire department, they're not doing, they're not doing repairs or national grid. 
the plumber needs to get there anyway. All three of those people should be there. That's my sound advice. Well, I can I suggest that you keep another phone number in your phone? 212 212-209-2877. That's our on-air number. Touche. Touche. <laughs> That's 212-209-2877. Uh, because we are, we have this wonderful opportunity to pick the brains of two guys who really know what they're talking about, Alvin and Lawrence Hubel of Accurate Building Inspectors of, of Brooklyn, been in the business for a long time. Now, uh, I mentioned earlier that because people are stuck in their home, this is a time that we might tackle some of the other home repair problems that we may have been putting off. Uh, are there, do any come to mind right away, the kinds of things that you know, you can let it slide, but why not do it now instead of just watching television? Well, I, for me, the biggest one is um, people who, if you look under your sink and you have <coughs> and you have drain pipes that are all that are drippy, and your always mm. have that bucket under there that cap captures those two or three or four drops of water that drip out. Now's a good time, if you, especially if you have uh, a few hours, reinstall those drain fits. If you're in the city, you have to use, usually you have to use a, a brass and copper fittings. If you're in the burbs, you'll be able to use PVC, depending on the size of the building, too. If it's a big multiple dwelling, you have to use a pit, brass fitting or in you know, a one and two family house, you could use CVC. And now's a good time to do those repairs to stop that from dripping. Because I, I, I do a lot of inspections and I always see there's a little cup underneath mm -hmm. where the trap is, where the water drips off. And it always has a little bit of water at the bottom of it. Maybe you want to get rid of that thing and, and maybe use the, the bottom shelf for storing stuff. Alvin? Okay. Yes. You want to, wait, wait, first, uh, let me tell people that they're listening to Leonard Lopate at Large on WBAI New York, 99.5 FM, streaming live at WBAI.org. We'll be taking another call in just a moment. But, Alvin, you want to add something? Well, yeah, uh, what, what I want to tell you, that smoke, s smoke alarms really save lives. And mm. uh, Lawrence, who is really an expert on this more than I am, but the thing is that we have to really be... Uh, aware of what's going on. People who smoke in bed, that's a major mm. cause of fires. Uh, uh, children that uh, are playing with things that are underneath the sink, which has all kinds of uh, caustic solutions, and they, and, they, and they experiment. Children are supposed to be curious. And the idea is to prevent ch child uh, deaths and also make sure that like windows that are above the second floor, second floor or greater, that don't have window guards on them. Uh, th those are to prevent tragic accidents throughout the city, almost on a daily basis it's happening. So please, those people that are listening, you gotta watch smoke, smoking in beds, falling asleep smoking, uh, children playing Don't smoke with anyway. Be careful, please, I beg of you. Okay, let's take yeah, another now, call. Now, let, I, I just want to oh yeah, let's take this call. Then no, I want no, to no. Finish your thought, and then we'll take the call. Yeah, I just want to say, as far as smoke detectors, my, my father is crying, smoke alarms, but you want to buy photoelectric smoke mm -hmm. alarms, not the ionization, photoelectric. And also, if you do have to live in the cellar or even in the basement or first level where you have a combustion gas equipment, you want to have also a low-level carbon monoxide detector because it will pick up minute amounts of carbon monoxide and not wait for it to get to the 70 parts per million that the ones that most people have. So uh, you want to have photoelectric smoke alarm and low-level uh, carbon monoxide detectors. And put the smoke alarm far away from the stove because the stove is going to set them off even well, if there's nothing wrong. Well, okay. you bring up a good point because you don't need a smoke detector in a kitchen because you're supposed to make smoke in a kitchen. You're cooking. <laughs> what you right. want in the kitchen is a heat detector or a fire sensor. That's what you want in case of a real fire. But smoke, you're always making smoke. That's the whole concept of cooking. So you want those smoke alarms to be in bedrooms, 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 bedrooms. 
Okay, okay let's take another call. BAI, you're on uh, the air. Hello, hello. Hi, it's me again. Um, regarding the, the smelling gas in the building, they have added that you also have to have an asbestos check before the gas company can come and reconnect it after you have the plumber come in, and I don't think people understand that also. Well, it is that true? you're right, and it you're, well, it depends. It depends on where the asbestos is and how close it is to the equipment. So it, each is on a per basis. Um, each, the asbestos, you are allowed to have asbestos in one's home. It's not an illegal material. The problem is how you handle it and how, how friable, how damaged, how deteriorated it is. And I have Isn't to say it bad each, to breathe in? It is bad to breathe in, but that's only if it's, in fact, friable. If it's not friable, if it's stable and it's in decent condition, if it's been encapsulated, if it's covered, then it's not, it's not an issue. There is really very little data on people having casual contact with asbestos coming down with asbestos-related diseases. The people who have asbestos-related diseases are the people who have worked with it on a daily basis without protection. And so those are the people that are working, let's say, on the pile at, at ground zero. Those were people who suffered greatly, and I get that. But having just asbestos in your house that's stable is not necessarily a problem. Now, each utility can make up their own uh, rules about how they want their workers to deal with and how the homeowner has to deal with possible asbestos-containing material in, their, in the properties that they service utilities to. So that's a whole other thing. And I'm not really aware of the particulars. Like for instance, there are insurance companies that will not underwrite a property that has a federal Pacific panel in it, even though there's nowhere that says that federal Pacific panels, electrical panels are illegal, but they will not underwrite it. And that's their rule. And it's their company and they can do what they want. It's the same thing with the utilities. They make up their rules. So you have to find out what the rules are, but just because there is asbestos in the house, the, doesn't necessarily make it an illegal situation. There are millions and millions and millions of homes that have asbestos on the outside of their houses in the form of asbestos shingles. Are they not going in there because there's asbestos? We have to know what the details are. So not necessarily. Well, it, and I also have was, to say where the gas... Yeah, go on. Yes, it was during demolition of the house next door that they busted my gas line in the cellar, mm -hmm. which is next to the boiler room. So uh -huh. when we got everything together, they said, no, I have to have an asbestos check done also. Oh, yeah. Okay, that's different. They want you to do an asbestos test, which is usually about a three to $500 test <coughs> to verify whether there's actually asbestos in the air in your basement. That's different, and I understand now, that. We have one more call coming in, and we don't have Thank a lot you. of time, so I want to go to that call as well. Uh, let's and caller, could you make it as uh, concise as possible? BAI, you're on the air. Hi. Go ahead. My name Go is ahead. Aza. Hi, quickly. Um, the question about the basement apartments. I have a home where the, the basement, the driveway tilts, it goes down. Um, the majority of the basement is above ground with windows, but there are parts, like maybe a third of it, that's underground. It has an exit both going upstairs and out the back. There's several windows, maybe six windows. Um, is that considered a legal basement with that kind of arrangement? It, I'm going to just say it really does have to do what the relationship is to the space and the curb height. The curb height, which is by your driveway or by the sidewalk, where that curb height is, and if you drew a horizontal level line, to that, to the space you're speaking of, if that line is above halfway on the wall, then it's a cellar and you're not supposed to sleep down there. On the other hand, if that line comes in and it's below halfway, like I said, three feet, 11 inches, if it's an eight foot ceiling, then it is legal. So it's basically that halfway point. Halfway, if it's halfway or, 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 or more, then no. If it's halfway or less, then yes. Yeah, but if it's a That's hill where the curb is the top of the hill and it goes down, why, why would the curb be the thing that it would be missing from? You might, from? That, then, 
you know what? I have to say that I've seen many situations because it's the opposite, where the back is fully underground, but because the curb the curb height is four feet below where the where the front of the building is, then they get away with it. Oh, so every situation is different. Yeah, every situation is different. We don't live. Unfortunately, it's not like Texas where everything's black. You know, we live in a very hilly part of the world, and so it, okay. it doesn't always work out so clean and clean and concise. Whether or not it was illegal. I'm sorry. Okay. Well, thank you for your call. And um, Alvin and Lawrence, if people want to get in touch with you before you show up at the uh, on on our, you come back to our show. How can they do that? I'm I'm going to refer you to send everything to my father since I'm busy on <laughs> one hand of paper. I'm busy on one hand of paper hanger. So it's Alvin A L V I N at ubell u b e l l dot com. Okay, Alvin, that's all right so, with you. That's all right with me, Alvin at ubell.com you'll get you i'll get your email and i will answer it it's my job it's my job and it's my pleasure uh -huh. and it's our pleasure to have you on our show uh thank you both so much for being with us alvin ubell lawrence ubell the uh, thank you for accurate building inspectors of brooklyn sometime, new york yes what we say now is i want all of america to go forth and fix save energy and do it safely. Okay. And that brings us to the end of today's show. If you're new to our program and you would like to hear more, you can access all of our past shows streaming on demand at WBAI.org. We're also available on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever podcasts are available. And there are links to all of our past shows at LeonardLopateAtLarge.com. If you'd like to comment on any of our shows, or if you just want to say hello, my email address is LeonardLopate at WBAI.org. Before I sign off today, I need to take just a minute to ask you to support WBAI. We are asking all of our listeners who have the finances to do so to step up and, and make a tax-deductible contribution at whatever level they're comfortable with by going online to give to WBAI.org or by calling 212-209-2950 right now to keep the kind of unique, in-depth content we bring you on the show coming to you weekdays from 1 to 2 p.m. on this historic station, the only one on the New York radio dial that's completely listener-sponsored, 100% listener-sponsored. Uh, so why not make that call right now in the name of London Thorpate at Large so we can keep bringing you the kind of unique, long-form interviews you won't hear on any other station. Again, the number to call, 212-209-2950, or you can go online to give to WBAI.org. And to everyone who has already stepped up to support this program and this station during this terrible pandemic, thank you so much. We're off tomorrow, but I hope you can join us for Friday's show when Karen L. Cox, a professor of history, University of North Carolina, Charlotte, will discuss her new book, No Common Ground, Confederate Monuments and the Ongoing Fight for Racial Justice. I don't think you're going to want to miss that one. See you then.